bit of time today and I don't want to go over time because I want to be accountable to that but I just want to maybe highlight a few things out of this reading that we've had on adultery and divorce today this is a, a an issue within the Christian church that we have so often I think misconstrued and so often been very judgmental about and there will be people who have been divorced in this room today people who have fallen in the places of sin uh, all of us fall in places of sin and we have indeed been guilty of pointing the finger and and uh, attacking others who may have been through divorce and if you've been through divorce and you haven't been treated well by the church i want to say sorry i want to say sorry for the for the words and the looks and the scowls and the those things that may have happened to you but I think in this scripture there are a few big ideas that I just want to highlight. And the first big idea is the, the, the idea of unity. And this sense of unity is not something that is contrived within people or contrived within community. It is something at the very basis in the heart of God. And a, a Jew will, will be a person who uh, recites this verse out of Deuteronomy every day and this is the sense of of unity and this is a big idea in the midst of uh, relationship in the midst of Christian community in the midst of community itself and the, in the midst of the world because it is the foundation and the basis of who God is and this uh, verse I'll show you in a minute is called the Shamar and it's why it's called the Shamar is because it's a word within it and it's uh, Shamar Yishya Yisrael Adonai Elohim Elohinu Adonai Echad, which means, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and it won't work, Deb. So the next, yeah. Hear, O Israel, Shemar Yisrael. And it's saying, Israel, hear who I am. And how do we know this means unity? Because the echad, the, the one, the word for one, Adonai echad, means God is one in unity. And that word means there's one group but different members within the group. So if you're talking about uh, the state of origin team, that didn't do so well, um, the Queensland team is one team but it's got many members within the one team. And that's what echad means. And so God is one, but he's got three members within the one, you see. And so there is this unity that, that God brings into creation, into this world. So everything is about being one. And if we're made in the image of God, uh, we live with the idea of unity, playing as that one team. As the church, we play as the one team, even though we're a bunch of motley crew of uh, diversity we play as one team even the the uh, other churches that we uh, fellowship with but the whole body of Christ in the world your whole body itself is runs on echad so if you uh, get an infection if you ask Haley and you get an infection in your body and it can affect your whole body by a fever and if it gets too rampant it can um, you can become septic it just infects your whole body so your body runs on this principle of echad 
The world runs on the principle of Echad. So if uh, the ocean temperatures rise, the whole world is affected climactically. That's a big word, climactically. Uh, so we hear lots of talk about that in the world today. And if God is Echad and we are made in the image of God, then Echad is that which holds everything together. God holds everything together. You cannot come against the very force of the universe, God himself, and not expect to be torn apart yourself. We hear that when we hear uh, Simon talking about bringing the Christian voice or bringing the voice of God into our community because our community has decided that Echad is no longer. We'll just do our own thing and, uh, and we'll abuse uh, that force which holds the world together and therefore we get torn apart. But they don't realise it. The second thing in this Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about and we've entitled it The Way, The Way of Jesus is a, the idea of hell. Now, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't talk about going uh, judgment, heaven and hell. It doesn't talk about uh, that at all, and we get it wrong if we think that's what it means. What I mean by... Next slide, please. Yeah. If you look through three... Uh, verses within Matthew 5, it talks about this idea of hell. It mentions it three times. In, in verse 22, it says about calling someone else a fool. And I'll jump over this pretty quickly. I haven't got time too much to do it. In the second one, uh, verse 30, it talks about, for your, if your eye offends you, tear it out. Now, we've got a special table at the end. Uh, so after this sermon, I've got some knives and some poking instruments uh, that you can go ahead and help yourselves and cut off a limb or two if you want. That's okay. Um, we, we can't take that, that scripture uh, literally. The, the idea is if... You, if I'm just visualising it now. Um, I was a funeral director. Okay. <laughs> If you rationalise small sins in your life, it will lead to affecting your whole life and will bring your life undone. When it talks about Gehel, uh, when it talks about hell in these references, it uses the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was the town garbage dump outside of the village and so everybody would take their their smelly garbage out there and as it uh, fermented it would get smellier and the wind would blow and the smell would come into these the village so what they would do they would set it on fire and they'd burn in this garbage dump so that the smell wouldn't come into the city or into the village and when people who uh, couldn't afford to buy a tomb, when people died and their family couldn't afford to buy a tomb, they'd take the, the body out and they'd bury it in the garbage dump in Gehenna and people would often be out there weeping and there was always families out there at the garbage dump weeping because their, their family members had been uh, buried there. And it was where wild animals were because they would come and, and scrounge around for the, the food bits and they would often fight to get the food. 
And so Gehenna was the place where there was fire and weeping and weeping and, and the gnashing of teeth. And that was what it was called, Gehenna. And if you start rationalising your behaviour before long, your whole life will be on the garbage heap. You'll send yourself to hell by wrong behaviour, by behaviour that upsets or sabotages the echad, that rips apart unity, whether saying bad things or murder or not loving your enemies or adultery or marital unfaithfulness, you break the sabotage the gehad, echad, getting all my words mixed up, and you don't want to do that. The thing of marital unfaithfulness, when we read the word um, uh, adultery, it's the word porneia, which is used in the Greek there, and it's usually used for the word adultery. See, porneia has the thought of out of controlness. Our word pornography comes from that word porneia, and pornography means using someone else's skin as an object. It means using another person as an object. And using your wife as an object or a piece of property rather than a person created in the image of God sabotages echad and therefore brings marital unfaithfulness. Don't sabotage echad. That's what the principle is. Don't hate or murder or destroy someone with your tongue or lust after someone else or commit marriage unfaithfulness. This is the way of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom, as we are discovering during this series on the way, is the upside-down kingdom, which is totally opposite to the way our culture runs. And we fall into the trap of not speaking up for the way of the kingdom and the king himself because it causes trouble within our own lives because we speak against that which our culture is doing. But the way of the kingdom is to speak for the king of the kingdom, Jesus, and the way that God has set things up in this sense of unity or echad, and not to sabotage it, but to fight for it. The real problem with adultery is sabotaging someone else's unity or echad. Jesus is not saying that sexual desire is wrong. He's not saying that um, seeing someone else as attractive is wrong. He's not saying that uh, feeling sexual desire for another person is wrong. What he's saying is that we should not desire or lust after. And so to sabotage the echad of a marriage relationship is to cultivate sexual desire after someone else and to cultivate it and cultivate it cultivate it in our heart, which often leads to the act. Someone who commits adultery just doesn't think about it just like that. It's been something that's been cultivated in their heart. You see why we ought not to do that? 
is because the other person becomes the object, not as one of God's creation created in his image. This is the problem with pornography. It uses that to objectify other people and not to treat people as God's created beings created in his image. And so we sabotage God in himself, his echad, and the echad of that other person. What do we do with unhealthy desire? We go out to the table and gouge our eye out with the poking instrument. Or we use the meat cleaver and cut our, our hand off. No, it's better that you avoid the behaviour. It's better that you cut, off, uh, cut body parts off because that's the sort of destruction you're setting yourself up for. That's what it's saying. It's better that you go and do that. Because if you, if you continue with this behaviour, you're setting yourself up for the fall. Setting yourself up for cutting off things in your life. Breaking and sabotaging that unity in your own life. If you think that you live your life cultivating sexual desire towards someone else, objectifying them without consequences, then you're wrong. It will bring you undone. It will eventually be like a disease that hits you. Now, it's not saying that people who make a mistake are completely destroyed. It's saying this cultivation, this, this continual thing, this habitual thing that has happened. And so it goes on to be talking about divorce. He says, Jesus says in, I think it's Matthew uh, 19, don't divorce just for any reason. It's because, um, just for any reason, but divorce comes from marriage unfaithfulness. He makes this statement, uh, verses 31 and 32, I think. Did I get any more? Ah. And it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What do you say to the young 25-year-old young lady who made a mistake and married the wrong bloke? And that, that bloke turned out to be abusive. Or that bloke turned out to be lazy. Or that bloke turned out to be neglectful and uh, then deserts her and now you say to her you can't marry again you can't remarry because he didn't commit adultery and it was just because he ran out on you so therefore because you would love to be married to this uh, man that you uh, a man who you would fall in love with and who would treat you well and have family together what do you say to her she's guilt-ridden She's guilt-ridden by the cruel things that have been said to her, and if she does get married again, that guilt follows her into the next relationship. Well-meaning Christians who, out of misunderstanding, might use the sword of this verse inappropriately, have destroyed other people and have caused them to be guilt-ridden for the rest of their lives. And why I say that is because we look at this scripture and we don't look at the background of the Hebrew background, and I have to hurry up quick sometimes we're so quick to point the finger often without looking at the full story and often we don't know the full story because it's none of our beeswax it's none of our business 
And people haven't just have decided not to tell the whole story because they want to protect their children. Their father was unfaithful. Uh, that we want to protect their children from knowing that their dad did the wrong thing. They want to protect the children from this or protect themselves. And so we don't know the whole story. What if in a fit of rage he wraps his hands around her neck and pins her to the bed and tries to squeeze the life out of her? What, is what about that? Oh, but he hasn't been unfaithful. She has to put up with it. What a lot of nonsense. I know they said a wrong word. Is she supposed to say, stay? It's not that simple. What if he's in the addiction of gambling or she's in the addiction of gambling and the family is being led into further and further debt? It's not that easy, is it? The complex issue. What if there's deception from the start and the true person only emerges after the wedding? That happens before. Pastor, a friend of mine, before I went to Bible college, when we were talking about marriage and, and breakdowns, he would say, always remember this, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. And I took that as a, a real big lesson. The, the complexities of life sometimes scramble things so badly that you, you certainly can't unscramble them. In Jesus' day, there was this debate that happened between two well-known and senior rabbis, Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. Now, Hillel, these guys died around Jesus' teenage years, but their influence into the culture was in, really important, and Jesus speaks in the context of what these rabbis were talking about. Hillel, Rabbi Hillel, his teaching was um, any cause divorce. So in Matthew 19, they, they say to Jesus, do you allow us to divorce for any reason? Do you agree with Rabbi Hillel? And Hillel said that you can divorce for any reason, including burning the toast. Any reason. Even if you burnt the toast this morning, you're done. If the toaster went too long, you put the setting on wrong, you went out to go to the bathroom, you came back and it was burning, you could get divorced. Shammai, Rabbi Shammai, said that you can divorce because of marital unfaithfulness. Now, we have to understand that Jesus' mind was in the Torah. The Torah was the Jewish law. Our minds have stepped back from that and we see a bigger picture uh, but he was speaking into this audience and in his own mind was thinking of Torah. In Torah, there are only two commands regarding God's standards for divorce. First, if a marriage was consummated by rape, you could never divorce her. For there was an obligation by the perpetrator to commit himself to the victim for all of her life. And the reason why was this was to protect the woman so she wouldn't have to then go out onto the street and sell herself to survive. She needed the protection of that man. She needed the protection of his income. She needed the security that he could offer. The second was if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate, a certificate of a divorce, meaning uh, in the Hebrew word it's called a get, a G-E-T. And it's not just get out of here. No, it's not that. Um, it's called, just called a get. 
he gives it to her and sends her from her house. And if after she leaves her house, his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and finds something indecent about her and writes her a certificate of divorce, he gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. Now, if... Now, if... She will, the first husband gives her a certificate of divorce and she doesn't remarry, he can remarry her again. But if she remarries someone else and he gives her a certificate of divorce or she dies, he can't marry her again. And maybe she carries this indecent thing, I don't know what that means. And no, there's no um, definition of it. You see, if he did that, married her again after she'd been married to someone else, this is detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. That's what it says. This is really vague, isn't it? You look, va you look confused. As I, when I read it, I was confused. If you found anything unclean in your wife, you could give her a certificate of divorce. But how do you define an unclean thing, an indecent thing? There's no definition. Jesus says, I'll allow you to divorce for, un for marital unfaithfulness, according to Rabbi Shammai. But I'll also reinforce the standard set in Deuteronomy 24. You can't marry a divorced woman. That's detestable. That's remarrying the woman you divorced in the first place. That's what it means. That's after she's remarried after the divorce. You see, we just take it as, oh, you just can't marry a, a divorced woman. That's not what the Torah was teaching. In the context of the culture, it doesn't mean you can't marry a divorced woman in the context of the culture. I just want to bring this bit of a balanced view here. Marital unfaithfulness, any time someone is breaking their agreement with their spouse in an unrepentant pattern. That's what marital, uh, marital unfaithfulness means. Any time someone is breaking their agreement with their spouse in an unrepentant pattern. So, it's not a, not a mistake, an unrepentant pattern. Now, in Hebrew marriage there was a thing called ketubah. Now, a ketubah is the marital agreement. Now, what happens in the ketubah is the, the father of the groom and the groom and the father of the bride and the bride all sit around a table and they come to agreement. They agree on the financial management. They agree on what sex is going to look like. We, we agree on uh, the faithfulness within the marriage, we agree on a bunch of things. And when that the terms of the agreement are met between the two fathers and the bride and the groom, then they all stand up, they shake hands, they sign the agreement and because they've hashed out the terms of those, that agreement. And they would get up and then the groom would get up and say, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Heard those words before? 
John 14. And, and the, the bride-to-be says, when will you come back? And he says, I don't know the day or the hour, but when my father has approved the wedding place, the wedding chamber, he will send me back to receive you to myself. Have you heard those words before? This is the ketubah, which is a Jewish agreement in marriage. It's the basic agreement, the way you speak, the way you work, the way you arrange finances, sex life, etc. And you break the ketubah, you're guilty of marital unfaithfulness. Now, when people are hearing what Jesus is saying, they hear this culture and they hear this context. So if the husband's lazy and watches TV all day and the woman has to go out and work and look after the kids and she's really busy, she says she goes to um, try to sort it out. And Rabbi Shammai says this is how you sort it out. You go to the person, you go to your husband or your wife and you say, I don't mean any disrespect, but... You're being lazy, you're sitting and doing nothing, you're not earning money, you're not helping in the kitchen, you're not helping with the children, I'm doing all the work. And if he won't hear you, you're listening to this, if he won't hear you, you take someone else with you, a witness, and say, I don't mean any disrespect, you're being lazy and you're being unfaithful. This is not in line with the ketubah, in line with our agreement. And then if he won't hear you, then you take the spiritual leaders with you and you deal with it with the husband. And if he won't deal with it, in some of the culture, Jewish cultures, they'd send around the minion and they're not those little yellow things on, um, on the movies. The minion was ten blokes. We're going to go around and have a word with the husband. And it wasn't about let's about beer and skittles either. It was about fixing up the ketubah being uh, broken, the marital unfaithfulness. Do you see it? Do you see this context of uh, of the culture? There was no license to treat your spouse any way you wanted to. I was speaking recently to some people who. Uh, dealing with domestic violence and how to, how to deal with or help people in domestic or victims of domestic violence in the church. And they were saying, oh, we can't. And I said, oh, if they're being abused and being their lives being threatened, the ladies' lives being threatened, they've got to get out of there. They've got to get away from there. And this guy said to me, yeah, you're a bit of the exception to the rule. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, there are pastors around that say, no, you've got to stay. That's nonsense. In the culture, if we understand what Jesus is saying, remove yourself from the situation because the ketubah has been broken. Do you understand? I just want to bring some balanced understanding in the middle of what Jesus is saying. So, then the Hebrew get was given. And it, as I said, it wasn't get out of the house. It was, I'm going to give you a get. Even if there was repentance, they could be given this get, which is a certificate of divorce, because they didn't honour the covenant. They didn't honour the agreement. What it, did it take to get a get? Rabbi Hillel says, for any reason, burn the bread, you'll get one. 
Rabbi Shammai's his marital unfaithfulness. When we read, then, when Jesus says in our English Bibles, if anyone divorces and remarries, they commit adultery. In the Greek, that's in Matthew 19, in the Greek it says, if anyone divorces in order to remarry. You see the difference? The English Bible says if anyone divorces and remarries, they commit adultery. Jesus in the Greek language says if anyone divorces in order to remarry another, they commit adultery. There's quite a difference. There is a freedom for people when divorce happens. We are against divorce. We understand that there's an intention of God's heart. And the intention is this, in all things, love must win. Love one another. If you've been divorced and you've been condemned by the church or criticised, forgive. Be healed. Because the church isn't always kind, is it? Have you done everything possible to protect what you have? You can't just divorce for any reason. It's not that light a matter. Our world has made it so easy. Our world has made it... Clive's there for you. If, uh, if the, the world has made it so simple, if you want to get out, get out. But Jesus is saying, no, it's a very serious matter. It's surrounded in the heart of God. It's surrounded in the ketubah that, or the agreement or the covenant that you make with one another. It's surrounded in being faithful to one another in the midst of that agreement and not looking unfaithfully at someone else with that cultivation of sexual desire towards someone else. It's about being uh, totally committed to one another. And he's also, the heart of God is saying, use every resource that you have to fix the problem. Divorce always should be the last decision. But we realise too, sometimes you can't unscramble scrambled eggs either. Oh, I'm over time. And he's also saying, resist the urge to look down on others who have been through the horror of divorce. There's no winners in divorce. It's always painful. It's always difficult. And let me say this, you worship a divorced God. In, um, just I'll read two, two references, Isaiah 51, 50 verse 1, and we're nearly done. Um, this is what the Lord says, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins you were sold. Because of your transgressions your mother was sent away. In Jeremiah 3.8, I give faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and send her away because of her adultery, all her adulteries, because of the breaking of the ketubah and the sabotaging of Echad. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear she also went out and committed adultery because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her. She defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. I reckon God understands. I reckon God understands our pain. 
I reckon God understands the pain of a divorce. I reckon God understands the pain of unfaithfulness. I reckon God understands the, the hurt that is inflicted upon us by others or the hurt that we inflict upon others. I want to bring this balance to you with these, this sense, firstly, that when we are unfaithful to one another, we sabotage echad. When we're unfaithful to ourselves, to others, we sabotage our own echad. When we're unfaithful to each other in the church, we sabotage echad within our community. That might be by a bad word or calling someone a fool or, or just being unfaithful by gossip, by anything like that. We break echad, and not only that, we face the consequences. It will bring us down. Don't think that we can get away with it. We've got to come to God in repentance and say, God, I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to adulterate myself anymore. I'm not going to look at others with, with that cultivation of sexual desire. I'm not going to look at others as some alternative because I'm sick and tired of the burning bread. I want good toast, not bad toast. How should we live if we're divorced? There'll be divorced people in this room. Let it go. There may be some big regrets. There may be some pretty tough feelings that you beat up on yourself and you live in guilt. Let it go. God's forgiveness and grace are still there for each one of us and lavishly there for one another. And you need to take re responsibility for your part in the deal so you don't repeat your mistakes. This is a tough topic and I covered it really quick because there's a whole bunch of stuff in the background that you can talk about further. If you're in pain because of divorce, if you're in pain because of broken relationship, if you're in pain because of the sabotage their heart in your life or your relationship, we want to pray with you and help you walk through that. We will not condemn you. We will not judge you. Don't judge each other. Don't point the finger because we don't know the whole story. So when Jesus says here, don't lust, don't commit adultery, don't yearn for those things which uh, are not yours and never will be yours, should never be yours, if you do, you're going to face the consequences. It will bring your life undone. And you'll face the rubbish heap of Gehenna. And when he says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Why did they do that? So she would be free. The Jews did that so that she would be free to marry another man so that she wouldn't be left out on the street. I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife for the purpose of marrying someone else 
is guilty of marital unfaithfulness and sexual immorality. This is a heavy topic, isn't it? And it can be quite complex. But I wanted to bring those, those things of Jesus and the cultural background to you today. If you're a married person, remember your ketubah. Remember your covenant. Remember your agreement before God. You've not made it lightly, and it's nothing to be taken lightly or selfishly, but to be enhanced. Let's pray. Father God, in the midst of the pain that life brings our way, particularly in marriage relationship, particularly when adultery occurs, particularly when someone looks wrongly and cultivates sexual desire for another. When that happens, we need your grace. We need your healing. We need your presence. If it's happened to us, to any person in this room who's been through divorce, who's walked through the pain and still walks through it, would you lay your hand upon their, their hearts and their lives and help them to realise that you know what it feels like to walk through that, that you identify with them, you love them, and your grace is toward them. For those who cry the tears in their heart when no one else sees, you know. And for us who are married who have left our fathers and mothers and our homes and have cleaved to our spouse, we recognise that there is echad between us, one flesh, one unity. Help us to maintain that by keeping our agreement, our ketubah. God, we lay ourselves before you knowing that we are so imperfect and we get it so wrong. If there's anybody here too who might have committed adultery, in their heart, in their practice, bring forgiveness and healing and repentance. For God, we want to serve you. We want your life to be evident in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need